of you thought 2014 was kind of a rough year? Anybody? Um, yeah, I mean, with political strife and with, you know, fi the, the economy still hasn't completely recovered, and I know there's families out there that are still struggling that way. There's families that are struggling with uh, just getting along, and there's families that are dealing with just issues, and we've got all that stuff, and we've got all that to worry about. Then we bring it down to our own city. 2014? Rough year for St. Louis, right? I mean, it was, it was hard. Political, I mean, we got national attention that we really didn't want. Um, w dealing with some tensions that we would love to, to get worked out, and so hopefully something can rise from that. But it was still really hard, right? Then let's even bring it closer to home. Um, a couple weeks ago, kids falling through the ice. We've got... Last week, when I was uh, driving home from church, there was an accident on Fizey Road where a guy died because a senseless person was speeding through Fizey. People have to deal with this stuff, and we've got all this junk in our lives, and, and it can be hard. And so I picked this sermon as much for me as for anyone else. Let me tell you that the whole Fizey situation, uh, the whole uh, Ferguson situation, Reading Facebook made me mad, okay? It, it, was, it was one of those things, I'm looking at this, and I'm thinking, why don't people find that we can make something good out of this? Th this can be something that we can raise awareness and raise attention, raise, uh, we can be loving, and we can help. And then I, I watch TV shows, and I watch, and I read articles, and it just seems like it can get worse, and it can get worse, and I know that that's what sells in the news stories, but it gets us down. So, I titled my sermon, Now is a Good Time to Be Happy. But the big million-dollar question is, how do we do that? Because we've learned we can't just muster up happiness, can we? It's not something we can just go, okay, today, today I'm going to be happy. Every one of you, let's just be happy. There we go. You can go home, and you can watch the Super Bowl later tonight, right? Speaking of which, what, in about seven hours, we are going to try to muster up happiness within ourselves, at least I am, because one of the ways I try to make myself happy is feeding myself ridiculously with junk food. And how happy does that make us feel? Like Brian said in his last sermon, the, uh, the, the quote he used that we don't eat when we're full, we don't stop eating when we're full, we stop eating when we don't feel good about ourselves anymore. And I am one of those people. That resonated with me. So what is this thing happy, called happiness? And, and what do we do and how do we get it? Well, Forbes did a study in 2013, and they wanted to find out which were the most happy countries in the world. And their formula kind of worked out to be happiness equals prosperity. They used this as their guidelines for prosperity. They said, as has been the case in the past five years, the distinction of goes to countries that enjoy peace, freedom, good health care, quality education, a functioning political system, and plenty of opportunity. The top four countries, Norway, Sweden, Canada, New Zealand. Anybody guessed where we ranked? Actually, we're still pretty high. Number 11, so that's not, that's not awful. The countries on the bottom of the list, these were countries that were war-ravaged, 
they're under the thumb of greedy despots and theocrats, where freedom of expression was limited, education was non-existent, and violence was the norm. You want to be surprised as countries like Chad, Congo, Central African Republic, Afghanistan, and Yemen. Now, the reason I, I bring up this article is that I found their last paragraph extremely interesting. They ended their article this way, their way of being happy. They say, pay attention to your kids' education. Exercise your rights to vote and express political opinions. Be tolerant of different viewpoints and different kinds of people. Get yourself out of debt and save some money. Be mindful of the environment. Eat right and get enough sleep. Help others. Get married. Go to church. Know your neighbors. Volunteer. Donate to char charities. Quit worrying. And the article ends this way. It says, try to be happy try to be happy. It's like they came up with this whole formula, they thought they had it all figured out, and then what's the author say at the very end? Try to be happy. It's like they know that there's something missing. See, in our modern age, in the, the, the age that we live in, the age of enlightenment, <clears throat> we have been told by scientists and by philosophers and by scholars that everything, every mystery of this world can be figured out by human reasoning and empirical investigation, that we can solve it all, right? How well has that done for us in our lives? How well have they done with this empirical investigation and human reasoning? We, we've brought about some of the worst world wars in this age that we've ever seen, right? But I'd also say that we have made a lot of progress. I mean, everyone would say our, our world that we live in is probably safer than it's ever been in the past. Um, Technology has made our lives a whole lot easier. There's been a reversal of a lot of the social norms, uh, our social problems that we've had. Slavery, though still in some areas, it's pretty much non-existent today. Uh, Facebook kind of took down some of the countries that around the world that they were doing some awful things, and so technology has shed light to the, those things. But how have we done in, the, in this realm of happiness? See, if we look at our ancestors, our ancestors didn't have the amount of money that we have. They had less political freedom. They didn't take the vacations that we take. They didn't have health benefits, and their life expectancy was short. But let's ask that question. Do you think they were happier than what we are? If you look at their diaries and you look at their journals and you start reading them and comparing to ours, do you find the same amount of self-pity, of boredom, of meaninglessness, or despair? And I'd say in our journals and our diaries, there's a lot more. And if you wanted to compare the two, I don't know if there's people that would say that we're happier than them, but many people would probably make a pretty strong argument that they were a whole lot happier than us. So what is the point that I'm trying to get at? Well, kind of like the Forbes article, kind of like our Age of Enlightenment, they're missing something, aren't they? And that's because the Bible has said, and has said for the last thousands and thousands of years, that the issues that make us happy are deeply spiritual. The issues that make us happy are deeply spiritual. 
So what does the Bible say about happiness? We're going to go to Psalm 1, and we're going to read the whole chapter, which is only six verses. So here we go. It says, blessed is the one, blessed is the one, happy is the one who does not walk in the step of the wicked or stand in the way of the sinners, take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on this law day and night. The person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers, not so the wicked. They are like the shaft, and the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous, nor the Lord watches over the... For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. So we read passages like this, and and I read the Bible, and God says you're supposed to be blessed if you do this, and blessed if you do that, and I feel like there's times that I do this, But I ask the question, if I know all of this and I know the promises of God, then why am I not happy? And I'd like you to ask that question throughout this entire sermon. The question, am I fundamentally and consistently a happy person? And if not, how come? How come? So how do we find this happiness, this fundamental happiness that's supposed to come from God? Well, this passage in Psalm 1 tells us four things. And the first is, be ready to be blown away, happiness is possible. Happiness is possible. And you might be thinking, Brian, I am missing 10 hours of Super Bowl pre-coverage for you to say happiness is possible? I think that's ridiculous, Brian. Well, no, it's not. I'm telling you that it is a staggering statement. And I know... For me, personally, I need to hear that at times. As I said earlier in the sermon, there are times where I I get down and I need need to just hear someone say, happiness is possible, Brian. And God wants us to be happy. But how do we get it? Because growing up, growing up, I thought... And I think most kids, unless they had a terrible, terrible childhood, and if you had one of these childhoods, I'm very, very sorry, but I think most kids grew up believing that happiness is just natural. Happiness is just one of those things that happens, and if you work hard enough, and you try hard enough, and you do all the right things, it's just going to happen, because it's always there, and life is great, and you got life by the tail, and it's awesome. And what do your parents say? Terrible parents, and I do this too, what do they say? They'll say things like, you know what? Life is not going to really be this easy all the time. And when you get out into the, yeah, very good. You get out in the real world, things change. I don't want to hear those types of things. No, life is always supposed to be easy because the person whose life isn't easy, they messed up somehow. They just didn't try hard enough. But as we get older, what happens? You turn 40. (laughs) we're done (laughs) and you think you know what maybe life isn't as easy or natural as what I really thought it was life goes on we migrate to the other side and and if you talk to the most talented people and if you talk to the most successful people and you talk to the people that are the most intelligent and you go up to them and you ask them hey what do you think about happiness so many of them will say Happiness is unachievable. 
Happiness is unachievable. And I kind of want to do a little compare and contrast of some of the great literary art, literary, I can't say it, literary art of the world. You know, maybe I thought about using some Shakespeare, some Shakespearean comedies and tragedies, compare and contrast those, maybe some Hugo and some Dumas. But I thought, you know what, I would use the great art of today, and we would compare and contrast that. And the first one is the movie that many of you know that will go down as a uh, classic, <laughs> Elf. When you think of a happy person, who doesn't think of Buddy the Elf, right? And then the other movie that, I, that really came to my mind is um, the very first movie that I can remember having an awful, awful ending, and I probably didn't completely understand it when I watched it because I was so young watching it, and that is the original Planet of the Apes. How many of you remember Charlton Heston on the beach looking at the Statue of Liberty with his hands raised saying, we did it to ourselves? And I remember asking my brother, what in the world does he mean? Because I thought, you know, happiness is just always supposed to be natural. And he said, well, we killed ourselves. And I'm thinking, movies aren't supposed to end that way. No, it's not supposed to be that. But we need movies like Elf, don't we? Because life can be hard. But when we stare life in the face... We see movie. We see it's a little bit more like Planet of the Apes, right? Or a Shakespearean tragedy where everybody dies in the end and there is no hope and it's all done. Okay, there are four types of people in this world. There are the happiness is natural, the elf type people. These are usually the young, the naive, or the people that have led an incredibly charmed life. Then, as you, you kind of go on to the other end, there's in the other corner, they're the most intelligent people, and they believe that happiness is just, it's just not achievable. Then most of us, I would guess, are kind of in between, and we migrate towards one or the other, but the person. And those people are those that understand what the Bible says about happiness. Those that believe that happiness is neither natural nor unachievable, but happiness is possible that it's possible to be a fundamentally happy person. Our first point was that happiness is possible. Second is this, that happiness offered by God is fundamental. And I ask the question again, if we know this and we know it's possible, then why aren't we happier? Well, the, the answer to that question is because we seek it in the wrong places. We make all sorts of mistakes when it comes trying to be happy let's go back to psalm 1 verse 3 it says that person the happy person the blessed person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither whatever they do prospers so let's talk about this tree let's talk about why this tree is a little different than all the other trees because this tree it's gone through all droughts it goes through the heat it goes through the winter there will be times where this tree is not always productive that it's not always green that it's not always fruitful but it gets through and why is that where is it planted on the riverbank and so even when the heat comes even when the cold comes where does it draw from it draws from deep within its roots go deep and see the first mistake that we make is that we're so much like the other trees. 
We're the trees that are affected by our environment. We're the trees that are affected by our circumstances. And we try to find our happiness there. We expect happiness just to rain down on us and find it in our stuff. And sure, the stuff makes our lives, it makes it easier and it might make it safer, but does it make it less happier? See, real happiness, it's found under you. It's found inside of you. Happiness is never determined by what happens to you, but by what you are. Happiness is never determined by what happens to you, but by what you are. Many of you may have heard this old saying, but there were two men looking out through prison bars. One saw mud and the other saw stars. What's the difference there? Same location, same prison bars. The difference is in the men. And you might be thinking, all right, Brian, I know this is common sense. I get this. But why do we try to keep finding our happiness in our circumstances? I do it all the time. Why do we keep doing this? So let's look at the tree, but let's make this a little more concrete. Talk about the Christian. See, the Christian is not someone that simply does nice things. He's not or she, just a religious person or a nice person. A Christian is someone that has been rooted into God, not himself or his circumstances. A Christian is someone that's rooted into God. God has become, some, just has become a part of him. See, this tree experiences tough times. It experiences hard times, yet it's still an evergreen. And there's a balance here. We see this in 1 Peter 1, 6. It says, in all you... In, 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 all you, in all of this, greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. In all this, you greatly rejoice. It doesn't say, you know what, you used to greatly rejoice, or it doesn't say you will someday greatly rejoice. No, it's present tense. Just like the tree, there are times that we're going to go through hard times, we're going to we're going to face adversity. We're going to have just awful, awful things happen to us. In this verse and in this passage, it's not saying that we're just supposed to pretend those things don't happen. We're not just supposed to just laugh them off. It's saying, no, we're supposed to experience them. Okay, I came across a video this week that uh, I thought kind of maybe made this point, but in the wrong way. So we're going to show this. My name is Gita. (laughs) 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 And I was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. Okay, does anybody else find that? That's like the most uncomfortable video I've, I've seen in a long time. Anybody else? I mean, that's weird. And I think there are times where uh, we Christians, people come up to us and, and they think that we're supposed to be that way. You know what? You're a Christian. You're always supposed to be happy. Well, no. We can, we can find happiness, but, but it does not mean we don't experience the hard times and we don't... And, and it doesn't mean that we don't take them head on and feel the pain and feel the anguish. 
and I would say people that just try to laugh it away and pretend it's not there, that this is not only unhealthy, but it's also unbiblical. We experience it. And if we just try to laugh away, it's also kind of a little bit like brainwashing. See, the Christian's roots go deep. The tree is going through a season of dryness. What's it need to do? Put its roots down even deeper. And I would say anyone that has gone through a lot of hard time, has gone through something that has been really, really difficult, but you have let God be your source of strength. You know a fullness of God that other people don't always understand. And we find a joy in God because of going through those hard times, which would make us even more joyful. The happiness that the Bible talks about isn't this ha-ha-ha, I have to be smiley all the time. The happiness the Bible talks about is a fundamental happiness. It's not a lightheartedness, but it's a joy that's permanent, it's overlapping, it's overwhelming. And that's how you know if you have this fundamental happiness of God. See, the first mistake we make is that happiness doesn't come from our circumstances, but the second mistake we make is that happiness is not brought about by controlling our environment, but by controlling our allegiances. Happiness is not brought about by controlling our environment, but it's brought about by controlling our allegiances. And this brings us to our third point, and this may be the shortest, and, but it's the most important point, is that happiness can never be found directly. Happiness can never be found directly. Happiness is always a byproduct of something more than just happiness. See, it says blessed is the person, or happy is the person that seeks righteousness. Nowhere in the Bible does it say blessed is the person that seeks blessedness. It doesn't work that way. And so we need to ask ourselves again, if I know this, why am I not more happy? So here is the answer you may have. What are you seeking? Are you seeking happiness in your life or are you seeking righteousness? And if you seek righteousness, you'll get both. But if you seek happiness, you're going to get neither. And the teaching of the text, now listen to this, this is pure wisdom right here, is that the person that is happy is the one that has stopped trying so hard to be happy. The person that's going to be happiest is the person that has stopped trying so hard to be happy. How many of you have that friend that tries really, 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 really hard to be a friend and wants to be liked? Or they try really, really, really hard to be liked, and what happens? It makes them even more unlikable, right? Same thing going on here. So we need to ask, what are we living for? Matthew 6, 31 and 33 kind of gives us an answer of where our allegiances lie. He says in 31a, it's not on the screen, but this whole chapter is about not worrying. He says, so, not, so do not worry, but this is what you're supposed to do. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and in all these things will be given to you as well. Jesus is telling us that the reason that we have anxiety, that the reason we have inner strife, it's because we're not seeking the right things. Is happiness your highest priority? And I really want us to to dig into this. Why do we cheat? Why do we lie? Why is it that sometimes we break promises? Why is it that we have standards that we've set for ourselves that we don't even always meet? 
Well, it's because the normal and natural habit of our heart is to say, I believe in principles. I believe in honesty. I believe in integrity. Those are all good. But sometimes I need to make an exception, right? There's a principle that will override every other principle because I believe in telling the truth unless I might lose my job over it. I believe in doing the right thing unless I might lose my girlfriend or boyfriend. See, there's only one thing you believe, and that's really your top priority. And if this is how you're going through life, happiness is your top priority. And Jesus is saying that if you seek happiness, it's always going to escape you. If you make your marriage your number one priority, you're never going to have a happy marriage. If you, your happy marriage, uh, happy family is your number one priority, it's going to escape you. Speaking of which, this morning, I went to Target hoping to make my family a little happier. See, there's a certain toy that is uh, available, and it's going like gangbusters. It's kind of like the, uh, the, the uh, Cabbage Patch dolls and the uh, Beanie Babies when they were big, and so you find out when they're going to be released. Well, Target had them today at 8 o'clock. Okay, and so in a way to try to make my family happy so that it would make me a little bit happier, 8 o'clock, I'm in par- tar- parking lot, and I see there's a guy that kind of gets to the door a little bit before me. So I, I run up there, and, and I'm starting to walk, and I grab a basket real quick as soon as they'd open the doors, and he takes a left. So I sprint, going straight. No kidding, I'm doing this in Target. I'm a grown man, and this is what I do for my family. I got ahead of him because I noticed that, and then we kind of converge, but now I'm ahead of him, and I get to the aisle where the toys are. There are three left. I take every one. And he's looking at me, and I leave. And, and I tell you the story because my goal is to make myself a happy, like, happy family, but I feel terrible about it. Well, maybe not terrible enough to let him have one of them, but don't buy, I've, I've got three kids. What else am I supposed to do? They all have to be happy, but at what expense? And that's really the key, right? At what expense did we do this? And, and I struggle with it, and I know I struggle with this. People say, I want to make this moment last forever. And if you do everything in your power to make that moment last forever, what happens? You pollute it. You destroy it. Put one other way. Is God committed to your happiness? And I would say, yeah, he's committed to you. Of course, he's more, he's more committed to your character than your, your happiness, but he is committed to you. He wants you to be blessed. He wants you he, he wants you to enjoy life and be fulfilled. And so you may come to God and, and you might be thinking, all right, God, I, I hear Brian talk about this. I know you want me to be happy, so I'm going to try out being a Christian so that I get these things, so it helps my career, so it helps my family, it helps me do all of these things. And if you come to God that way, what are you really doing? You're coming to a genie. You're coming to a butler. You're really not coming to God. For you cynics out there, either God exists or he doesn't exist, right? If he does not exist, can we come to God for happiness? No, we cannot. But if he does exist, it would be an injustice 
to come to the God that created all of us, the God that formed us, that created the universe, and expect him to be my servant. No, we would want to do everything that he asked. See, there's only two ways that we can come to God. One, we come to him that he's our king. And we, we bow down to him and we say, God, I owe you everything. You owe me nothing. I'm going to follow you and I'm going to forget happiness. Or how's the other way we come? We come to God and we say, God, I'm going to come to you, but we're going to have a little deal here. I'm going to do what you say. I'm going to show up on Sunday mornings, but... I want to be happy. I want a better job. I want a better family. Whatever it might be. And how do you know which way you're coming to God? Well, how do you react in the hard times? Do you say, why in the world did I come to listen to Brian preach today? It didn't do me any good. I'm still struggling with this. You know, I, I prayed for a week. My finances haven't gotten better. That was a waste of time. If that's how you feel, you're coming to God in the wrong way. See, the less you are concerned with happiness and the more you're concerned with God, the happier you will be. The more you're concerned with happiness and the more you're concerned with God, the happier you will be. Let me put this disclaimer on this. This is not a trick either. So if you say, well, hey, there's, there's the formula. That's what I'm going to do, so now I'm going to be happy. It doesn't work that way. We have to be fully and committed only to God. Happiness is possible. There's a fundamental happiness from God, and it cannot be found directly. And lastly, happiness is something that we choose. Happiness is something we choose. And let's go back to verse 1 of Psalm 1. It says, blessed is the one, happy is the one, who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. Now let's look at this word sit. Happiness is something that we choose, so sometimes we have to choose something to get rid of instead of something to go to. Obviously we want to go to God, but where we sit, this word in the Bible, every time it's used, it's talking about where are our allegiances? What do you put your weight in? With what company do you keep? What's most important to you? Where do you sit on this issue? Where do you sit when it comes to your beliefs and your allegiances and where you go and what you do. So, do you want to be happy? Well, the first thing you need to do is to figure out, where do I sit? What are my allegiances? And you might be saying, well, Brian, I'm a Christian. Now, I needed someone to tell me, and I'm telling you, that our hearts tend to stray, don't they? And there are times that we need to get them right back on focus. 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 9 says, We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. And what Paul is saying here is there are going to be hard times. But where do you sit? See, with your job, there might be a time when everything is going great, but then it all falls apart. But watch your reaction. Does it hurt or does it crush you? On your wedding day, you might be there and, and he or she may not show up. Where do you sit? Does it hurt or does it devastate you? 
God wants us to have happy marriages. He wants us to have fulfilling careers. But we cannot become downcast about those things when life happens. It's normal to be upset. That, that's completely understandable. But Paul is saying there's a difference between trusting your spouse rather than making your spouse your trust. There's a difference between wanting something and enjoying something rather than it owning you. And if you're a Christian and you're not fundamentally happy, you need to ask, where am I sitting? What owns me? What are my allegiances? And we need to turn our hearts away from those things and turn them on to God. Because if you're not fundamentally happy, you might be sitting in some other seat than in your father's lap. Because that's where we want to be, right? And let's go on to verse 2. Psalm 1, verse 2. And this is where we find our delight. This is where we find our happiness. This is where we need to turn to. We turn from those things and we go to whose delight is in the law of the Lord. Now, the law of the Lord, he's not just talking about the Ten Commandments or always be honest or treat your neighbors respectfully. No, the law of the Lord is what he's talking about here is that we have the great and powerful, amazing God sent his son to this earth so that this great, amazing, powerful God could become our father. That is the law of the Lord, and that is what we need to find our delight in. One of my very favorite stories in the Bible is the story of the prodigal son. I love, love, love the story of the prodigal son, and this sums up everything that we've talked about here today. Prodigal son, he goes to his father on his terms, and what's he say to his father? He says, Father, you owe me. You owe me happiness. I'm going to take all your money, and I'm going to go away, and I'm going to go use it, and everything's going to be great. And what happens? He goes, he does that. It's that way for a little bit, but then everything falls apart, and he's in despair. He loses it all, and he's sitting with the pigs, and he's seeing that they have better food than he does. And what's he think? He thinks, the servants of my father have it better than me. So what's he do? He goes back to his father. But this time, he's not going back to his father as a father, is he? He's going back to his father wanting to be a servant. Luke chapter 15, it says this, verse 21. The son said to him, the father, he says, Father, I have sinned against you, against heaven, and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. The son has gone back to his father as a servant. And what happens? His father puts the robe on him, and he becomes a son again. The son came to the father as a servant, and once you come to God as your king, the minute you say that is the minute that the king turns into our father. And this is the message we delight in. This is the river where we put our roots is that we owe God nothing and that we have come to serve only him and then what he gives us back in return is our blessing. Would you stand please? Dear Heavenly Father, I know that life is hard. I know life is difficult and I know there are times that, that I struggle and I need to be encouraged. 
And God, I ask that I keep my heart right and when I come to you, that I come to you as a servant. And I come to you that you're going to be my king and that you owe me nothing and I owe you everything. And when I do that, you will bestow your love upon me. And it's in your son's name I pray. Amen.